From Edmonton, that was Millennia from their most recent CD, Budmohe, and a song about a girl named Marichka. Dobry večer, šanovni radio suhači, ta vitaju vas vsih na radio programu Naš Holos, radio Krinskoho Korinja, katera podjeci vam na bahatomovni radio stanci AM 1320 CHMB u misti Vancouveri i pomareži PCJ Radio Mišnorodnemu. Pri mikrofoni Pavina Makwari, diakuju štorisha le perbute zimnoju na stupnu hodenu. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you here on AM 1320 CHMB Vancouver and in international syndication on PCJ Radio International. I'm your host, Paula devchik Makori, Pokrinske Pavina, and I am delighted to have you with me because there's some great stuff coming up in today's show, including a conversation with a young American filmmaker about his multi-award winning documentary film, Baba Bobby Skazala. He'll share his personal story and motivation for making this film about displaced persons from World War II who found refuge in the United States. 
As well, what's become something of a tradition here on Nasholis during the dog days of summer, a Ukrainian folk tale called The Stolen Postolet, The Stolen Shoes, narrated by Canadian storyteller Linda Mikolayenko. As well, our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next, we have uh, another classic uh, by Ron Kahoot, his well-known and well-loved original composition, Fly Kozak Fly. Cross the steps, the Yakosak riding with his fellow Kozak at his side, and you can feel the Kozak. Thanks to the foresight and generosity of its donors, the Shevchenko Foundation has been investing in the future of the Ukrainian-Canadian community for over 50 years. Since 1963, the Shevchenko Foundation has been funding initiatives that strengthen our Ukrainian-Canadian identity and enhance our Ukrainian-Canadian cultural heritage. These include fine and performing arts and arts groups, museums, cultural centers, education, as well as authors, journalists, and the Ukrainian-Canadian media, including this program. The Foundation strives to become the premier not-for-profit foundation in a Canada which acknowledges the Ukrainian-Canadian community as a fundamental component of Canadian society. 
Nash Hollis listeners are encouraged to support this vision through continued donations into the future. To apply for grants, make a donation, or for more information, visit ShoshankoFoundation.com. was Yaroslav Juice and Valentin Bogdanov with Jamila's Eurovision award-winning song 1944, which tells the tragic story of her own great-grandmother caught up in Stalin's deportation of Crimean Tatars, another genocide during his reign of terror. Deportation was a common occurrence for Ukrainians of all backgrounds during World War II. Matej Selecki is the director of a documentary named Baba Babi Skazala, which translates as A Grandmother Told a Grandmother. The film tells the little-known story of Ukrainian children torn from their homes in the crush between the Nazi and Soviet fronts in World War II. After spending a good part of their childhood as refugees in Europe, these inspiring individuals later immigrated to the United States. There they created new homes and communities through their grit faith, and deep belief in the importance of preserving culture. This is Matei's first film, and he joins us now to tell us how the film came to be and how he came to be a filmmaker himself. Welcome, Matei. Thank you for coming on the show to tell us your story. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Now, we're talking to you about a film um, because you're a filmmaker, but you're actually also a professional figure skater. Your name is probably recognizable to fans of Stars on Ice. So I've actually been a competitive figure skater for, my goodness, probably 21 years now. Um, that's crazy to think about. <laughs> um, but I've been most recently, my past few years of uh, professional skating, as well as teaching, I've actually been on a uh, television show called Dancing on Ice, uh, both with, in the UK as well as in the Netherlands. Um, so if you might know me from those two TV shows, um, but I've also been a competitive figure skater on the senior uh, international track. I was competing actually for Ukraine as well as Canada and the United States over the years, oh. um, shooting for the Olympics until I got injured. So 
yeah, been around the block a few times with the skating side of things, but it's been a very you know, in-depth exploration and always a learning experience. And you're still teaching. Still teaching, still teaching, enjoy teaching. It's That's... been very nice to be able to travel around and do choreography and um, meet a lot of really amazing athletes and, and personalities as well. So how do we segue then into your filmmaking and and this particular topic uh, as your first film? I'm assuming that they have some relationship to each other? From I guess from the skating side of things, um, not necessarily, but uh, yeah, that's, a, that's a long answer and I'll try <laughs> to make it short to an extent. I ended up going to school at UC Berkeley and um, there was an ice rink nearby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I, I skated and I went to school at the same time. But in regard to creating the documentary and how this came to fruition, um, I've always been interested in film and in, in design and graphic design and, and always being in that sort of entertainment field, if you will. And um, I had a few occurrences, a few situations happen um, actually throughout my college experience that just led me to a point of realizing the importance of my grandparents, all of our grandparents, and really understanding where we've come from. And I had a I had a few little situations at school and being in a few classes where being Ukrainian was considered to be not be okay by my teachers, which was beyond ridiculous to me. And yeah, especially you know now yeah. <laughs> in this day and age. I, yeah, know, when I was young, exactly. maybe, when I was young, maybe, but not now. So that's that is shocking. It's very shocking, and um, this actually happened five years ago, five, six years ago, and to think that even today, you know, we still have similar things going on. So that just is mind-blowing, but um, this was a kind of a revelation in my life because I started to realize that in order for me to really be able to share properly where we come from, not just as us being Ukrainians, not just myself and my family, but all of us in this world to share where we come from. I felt like it wasn't respectful enough to just do oral, to just do a written. It needed to be something more. And that's why I decided on doing this mixed multimedia sort of presentation. And uh, it really is come forth from a larger project in, in hopes to be able to bring this into a museum context or share this in a greater exhibition space. But I'm very, very proud of having completed this documentary and everything it took along the way. I realized in the beginning, maybe I was in over my head. Uh, so to know that it has come to fruition and it has you know, received various awards along the way that I was not expecting to happen. Um, it's, it really is meaningful and it, it hits the heart and it's amazing to hear the stories and and see how these stories impact the family members and, and people who have never even heard these stories before. So you um, experienced discrimination yourself as a young person and so I guess you could relate to people who suffered not only discrimination but persecution um, because of who they were. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned your grandparents. You're very close to them. Were they um, survivors? How, how did you meet these people and, and find them and, and get them to open up to you? As there- the story went with my grandparents, so both of my grandparents actually experienced World War II just in a different way. Um, and I say both my grandparents. I actually, um, at this point in my life, it was around my mother's side, uh, my grandfather, and 
the mother on my father's side, my grandmother. And they, as I said, both experienced World War II in very different ways. In relation to how I ended up meeting the individuals that I did speak with, it really is a matter of Babid Babish Kazala. It really was grandmother telling grandmother because having been in the DP camps for a lot of these Ukrainians, Polish, um, maybe even Lithuanians and otherwise, I mean, there's so many cross-cultural kind of situations happening during that DP time period. They met and they got introduced and they ended up they ended up mingling, creating community and sharing so much memories together that even though they came to the United States and they may have been dispersed, everyone still knows everybody. So yeah. Baba Baba Skazala is not just, you know, the title of the documentary. It really is a, a state of, of being, a state of community, mm-hmm. if you will. And it's much more than just the sharing of stories or the sharing of, you know, in some cases, people would say rumors. It's really much more of a sharing of our oral history and where we come from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's how the, the web was connected. Uh, I would do a, a few interviews in one location, and I'd finish an interview up, and they'd say, uh, oh, I think so-and-so would be interested in doing this. And I'd say, oh, fantastic. <laughs> let so-and-so know. And then the next thing you know, that person's saying, oh, let me get people in my community. And that's what led me from Florida to California to Arizona to Ohio, Philadelphia, New Jersey, you know, Colorado, all across the United States here. And it's, I'll tell you what, it's, it's really amazing to hear the stories and to be driving right, or flying all these ways and yet know that all these people came through certain look, this certain area in the world at one given time yeah. to know that they've shared in something so specific yeah. and to find out all the different ways that they've responded. It's, it's really something beautiful, to be honest. Now, these were old people that you were interviewing already, but the stories were about their childhoods and the horrors of experience during World War II. How did they, I mean, when sometimes when people go through trauma, especially in childhood, and then really, you know, they don't address the PTSD, they don't get counseling, they just, you know, escape and Mm -hmm. try to find a better life and they kind of bury those things and sometimes they don't want to talk about them because they're either they're painful or they're ashamed or and don't feel that anybody would be interested or things like Mm -hmm. that how did you encounter any of that kind of reluctance when you were interviewing these people because they would have had some horrible stories and experiences i'm sure actually yes uh, i did and uh, one of the first just as an example one of the first few interviews that i did was a brother and sister. And the sister I spoke with, and sh- at the end, similar situation to what I was saying before, she said, "Hey, my brother is, you know, right next door. Why don't we ask him if he'd be interested? Because I think it would be great to hear both of our stories." Mm-hmm. That's pretty much what she said in Ukrainian. But mm-hmm. you know, the brother, he was, um, he was afraid, partially because there was a bit of his history that would, let's just say, put him at risk. Mm-hmm. And even to today, that risk still exists. Um, so to know that that's kind of alive, that, that there's that risk that's still living. I mean, that, as you said, there's the post-traumatic side of things, which I've also I had the opportunity to speak with. And a lot of times it's about just how you're doing the interview. And um, 
to, to kind of speak kind of lightly on, on this matter, there were many times where I would finish up an interview and maybe a family member was sitting there as well just to kind of help facilitate at times or, or translate if necessary. And they would come up after me and say, they've never spoken to me about this before. They've never shared these things. It's just amazing that they would be so willing to share it with you. And I've been living with them for X years and I've never heard a single word about this topic. Uh-huh. A big part of that is just psychologically the fact that we are always, as, as human beings, we end up being much more interested in sharing more about ourselves or the things that we find specific to ourselves with people that we've never known before or that we haven't really met. Um, as soon as you know, there's somebody that might show a sense of interest, that immediately sparks certain kind of hormones in our body that you know, we become more open naturally. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's one thing. But again, as I said, it is about how you end up doing the interview because you have to really, you have to kind of care. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that was in my pocket because I, I always felt like I wanted to understand better, but I also grew so much respect from what I had experienced in in college mm-hmm. for my grandparents and, and for their, you know, their families and everything that they went through. Yeah. I think you had said something, you had a problem with a professor. Yeah. I, I took a, an Imperial Soviet Russia class and uh, it was taught by a German professor who ended up also having a Soviet professor herself. And I ended up using uh Subtilny as a, a source uh, for one of my final papers. And she would not accept him as a primary source because he was Ukrainian, quote unquote. And I just boggled my brain because I just didn't understand how there could be that much discrimination. Well, and Oris Subtilny, I mean, um, one of the biggest names in Ukrainian scholarship, uh, well, a few years passed away now, but um, he, huge name, Canadian um, from uh, Montreal, I believe, and just Uh a huge scholar. I mean, he was somebody I revered because I learned so much in my studies uh, through university. And and to hear that um, in, in the United States, uh, such disrespect for a Canadian and Ukrainian scholar is is shocking. So recently, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, so so good. well. So I understand where you're coming from. That's why I'm doing this show, you know, uh, into my third, fourth decade now, uh, for that very reason. Because these stories have to be told. And um, back to your story, though, um, your interviews, the documentary is done in English. So the interviews uh, within the documentary actually were both English and Ukrainian. Okay. And within the documentary, there are subtitles, mm-hmm. uh, English subtitles for the Ukrainian parts. Okay. Um, I really, even though I admit my Ukrainian is not the strongest, I really wanted to do these interviews in a way that the individuals would feel comfortable. Sure. Whether it was Ukrainian, whether it was English, that's fine just needed to be that they could share the story how they saw it and how they remembered it. Right, right. So your film debuted in 2018, I believe? Oh, now you're making me think. <laughs> I believe so. Okay, so... <laughs> you know, it's funny how the years just go by. Yeah, so, it's... Yes, not... in 2018. Yeah. 
Okay. And since then, it's won several awards. Um, tell, congratulations. And tell us um, about, about some of the awards that the film's received. So um, thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> very happy to say that the, one of the first uh, awards we received was an honorable mention at the New Jersey Film Festival in the fall of 2018. So that was, you know, just to receive uh, an award like that, um, especially when it's an honorable mention, because, because that means that it's gone mm-hmm. beyond just a selection. Right. Um, that, that feels pretty amazing. Um, but, you know, uh, as the years went on, you know, I'm very honored to, you know, the, the documentary received actually the um, opportunity to be at the Brukyovka International Film Festival in Ukraine and be a finalist there. To just have that international sort of recognition yeah. is amazing. And then to also have it be at the uh, Ethnogra Film, which was held in Paris and France and be the official selection. Alongside with there, we became the official selection at the Swindon Independent Film Festival, um, Soma Film Festival in um, in 2020 here, actually. Uh, Liftoff Global Network Documentary Filmmakers Showcase. Um, I'm going off the top of my wow. head here, wow. I think, as well. The <laughs> Festival of Cinema in New York City, um, best documentary, actually, at that. So quite a few at this point, right. and it's it's amazing to look back and, and yeah. sort of see all the laurels at this point and say, yeah. wow, this, this actually did that. Excellent. This did that. Excellent. What is your old professor from, um, was it Berkeley, UC Berkeley? What is your, uh-huh. what yeah. is your, what is your, um, description? bigoted professor saying now yeah i don't know (laughs) we haven't stayed in contact (laughs) well that's understandable i suppose (laughs) anyways uh congratulations again on on the awards thank you and um so how can people that don't have access to these festivals how can somebody say in british columbia or um, south america (laughs) see your film so uh if you have access to the um, to the internet, you would be able to find the film at kitsunitaleproductions.com. Um, that's actually uh, that's my production company, but it houses pretty much just Baba Bobby's Kazala, and that's where you can find all of the information about Baba Bobby's Kazala and more. Um, there's the opportunity to also purchase a DVD or Blu-ray, as well as if a community is interested, they can host a screening and they can inquire with uh, myself, uh, with the Kitsune Tail Productions to host a screening and we will help make that happen with the community as well. We have a lot that we can share and a lot of helpful information in order to make that happen. Uh, And we've been working with a few different locations as well currently and making that happen online. So Great. We're very flexible and we're adapting to the times. Well, yeah, nowadays, of course, uh, with, with the lockdown, everybody's moving to digital. So, um, I can see that it could be lots of, uh, lots of potential, lots of possibilities. So uh, people would contact mm-hmm. you then. It's Kitsune is K-I-T-S-U-N-E Tales. T-A-L-E Productions. K-I-T-S-U-N-E T-A-L-E Productions. Dot com. Okay, 
great. And so right now you said that's uh, that's all that's there um, at the moment, mostly Baba Bobby's Gazala. Big project, though, so I'm sure it keeps you pretty busy. And uh, do you have another project in mind regarding I film? I do, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's It's been a little hindered <laughs> recently due to uh, mm-hmm. COVID, mm-hmm. but um, I've had a project that's it's come to the forefront uh, of my mind that I, that I really want to pursue, especially after everything that's been going on at this point. Um, I feel like the relevance of the situation is very important and it combines two cultures that are very near and dear to my heart, both the uh, Japanese culture as well as obviously Ukrainian culture. Mm. Um, I've, I've, had the opportunity to to train in figure skating in Japan when I was much younger. And the short stories that has forever stuck with me. And I've learned a lot of very interesting things that tie our two cultures together. Mm-hmm. And so I'm without giving too much more information. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things that I'm planning on pursuing post COVID whenever that might be. Okay, well, that sounds so. sounds very interesting. So, um, good luck with that, and uh, good luck Thank with you. good luck with continuing to promote uh, Baba Bobby's Kazala. Um, it's a it's a story that needs to be shared far and wide. Um, lots of lessons to be learned, I think, uh, through that film. It's about what an hour. It's a documentary, so it's about an hour or so. Um, hour and nine minutes. Hour and nine minutes, okay. In case we want to be exact. <laughs> okay. So, um, again, people can reach you through kutsunitailproductions.com to um, find out more about the film, to purchase a DVD for themselves, or uh, arrange mm-hmm. for a, screen, a screening in their own uh, community. Correct. Okay. We are on Instagram as well, uh, as well as under Kitsuni Tail Productions. You can find a lot more information uh, there. We keep it up to date over time. Kitsune Tail Productions. Okay, so and so you Google, Instagram, you're on Twitter, which is how we met. <laughs> so easy to find you. So thanks so much, uh, Matei, for taking the time to speak with us. And uh, thank you for producing Baba Bobby Skazala and preserving these stories for the historical record. All the best to you and look forward to hearing about uh, your next film. All right. Thank you very much for having me. This is CHMB AM 1320, Vancouver. Every day, more Ukrainian soldiers are killed or wounded by Russian invaders. You can help wounded heroes by joining the Adopt-A-Soldier program of registered charity Ukraine War Amps. A small monthly donation goes very far for medical services and living expenses and creates a special bond between you and a wounded hero. 100% of your contribution goes to the soldier. Please, adopt a soldier today. Visit ukrainewaramps.ca or find us on Facebook.
And from Winnipeg, that was Slu Hai from their third CD and a medley of Ukrainian folk dances. And apologies there for not giving you advance warning. It did start off slow and kind of picked up the pace there for seven whole minutes. But um, you can sit back now and relax with a nice uh, glass of cold iced chai or harabata, as my Baba used to call it, or something a little stronger if you like. And... Uh, Take a relaxing trip down memory lane with Linda Mikolayenko. Welcome to Beyond the Blue Mirror, a series of programs that celebrates the rich Ukrainian oral tradition. Each program features a folktale or legend as well as a related real-life story, enhanced with traditional and contemporary music. My name is Linda Mikolayenko. Thank you for joining me. The Stolen Postole Bondachuk was up to no good. This rich farmer was always plotting ways to get the poor peasants to work on his land for next to nothing. And now, now he had his eyes set on Danello, a big, strong man. But how to enlist him? He stewed, and he schemed, and he twirled the ends of his long black mustache until, until he came up with a plan. And then he sent one of his servants to steal something from Danello. In the dark of night, the servant crept into Danello's hut. Careful not to wake the sleeping man, he tiptoed about, looking for something worth stealing. But Danello was so poor... He couldn't find anything. All night long he looked, and finally, just before dawn, he realized that Danello had no real valuables, and so he quickly grabbed a pair of postolets, a pair of shoes, and ran out the door. In the morning, Danello awoke, yawned and stretched and rubbed his eyes, but when he reached for his postolet, well, they were gone. He scratched his head and tried to remember where he had left them, but he was certain that he had put them beside his bed as he always had. Outside, the frost lay thick on the ground. Winter was on its way, and he wondered how he would survive without a pair of shoes. As he sat there, suddenly the door to his hut burst open, and in walked Bundachuk, the wealthy farmer who lived nearby. "'Why so glum, Danilo?' he said. "'Why shouldn't I be sad?' replied Danilo. 
Some scoundrel has stolen my postolet. Winter is on its way, and I don't have a cent to buy a new pair. Oh, that is indeed terrible, Bondachuk pretended to feel sorry for him. But、uh, don't worry, I'll、uh, buy you a pair of shoes, and、uh, you can pay me back by working on my farm for a year. Well, Tonello thought this was ludicrous. But what could he do? He had no choice. So he went to work for Bondachuk. Day in and day out he slaved, but Danilo was a big man, and the landlord fed him so little that he was always hungry. Finally, one day when he felt he just didn't have the strength to continue, he went to Bondachuk and he complained. How can I work when all day long my stomach aches and rumbles so? Again, Bondachuk pretended to feel sorry for him. I'll tell you what, my friend, I'll get my wife to give you a boiled egg every morning, and that way you'll have the strength to continue to work, and by the end of the year you'll have paid off your debt. All right. Danilo agreed and went back to work. For an entire year, Danilo worked like a dog. He plowed and he planted and he threshed, just to pay for a pair of shoes. And though he was still hungry, that boiled egg did help to give him the strength he needed to continue working. Now, by Danilo's sweat, the farmer prospered with. Bountiful crops and a rich harvest, and when the year was almost up, he really wanted to keep Danilo working for him. And so one day he called him to his house. So you finally paid for the shoes," said Bondachuk, stroking his long black mustache. "That's right," said Danilo. And did you get a boiled egg to eat every morning? Said Bondachuk as he furrowed his bushy eyebrows. Yes, replied Danilo. Oh, Bondachuk gasped and rolled his eyes as if he was in great pain. Do you realize what you have done? What do you mean? Asked Danilo. What have I done? Why you have devoured three hundred eggs. If my wife would have put those eggs under brood hens, they would have hatched into three hundred chicks. Those three hundred chicks would have grown into three hundred hens that would have laid a thousand more eggs. Those thousand eggs would have hatched into a thousand chicks. I could have sold those thousand chicks at the market for quite a sack of money. So you see. You, Donello, you have cost me a sack of money. Why, if I take you to court, the judge will make you work for me for at least another year. Donello listened to that tirade, and when it was over, he said, "Have it your way, you cheat! But I'll not work for you, not for another minute." And with that, he stamped his foot, turned around, and walked out the door. But when he had cooled down, he fell into despair. Oi, Bo, je chose imno yubude. What is to become of me?
How could he possibly win in court against a rich man? As he wandered the roads aimlessly, he came upon an old Hutso, a mountain dweller. What troubles you, my friend, said the old man. Now this Hutso was not only old, he was wise, and in his pocket he carried a blue mirror, and in it he could see where the rabbits slept, and how the stars fell into the sea, and what made the sun smile. He understood the languages of trees, and why the moon spread her skirts of melancholy over the hills. Danilo told him the whole story, and he finished off by saying, So you see, Bondachuk has me for good. I worked for him for an entire year, and now he's taking me to court. A rich man's greed knows no bounds, said the Hutzel. So you mean there's no hope, replied Danilo. Might makes right, and beggars can't be choosers. The judge is a learned man, but in my mirror he would see nothing. And with that he pulled out his mirror, and he gazed up into the sky and down to the ground and around to the forests and the mountains. And then he smiled and motioned for Danilo to come closer, and he whispered something in Danilo's ear. Danilo nodded, and smiled, and went on his way. The day of the trial arrived. Bundarchuk walked into the courtroom, strutting like a peacock, wearing a fine velvet suit. The judge and the clerk took their places, and they waited for Danilo. They waited. Minutes turned into hours. Bundarchuk began tugging at his mustache. Where is that fool? The judge looked at his watch, and the clerk tapped his fingers nervously on the desk. Finally, when they were just about to give up, the door to the courtroom burst open, and in walked Danello, heaving and panting. <sighs> Excuse me, Your Honor, he said, but I have been very busy. What do you mean, said the judge, what do you mean, busy? Well, I was busy boiling potatoes and planting them, boiling barley and planting it, boiling oats and planting them. Wait a minute, said the judge. You can't get a crop from boiled potatoes or boiled barley. Well, surely I can, replied Danello. Just as surely as Bondachuk says he could get a thousand chicks from the boiled eggs that his wife fed me. The judge looked at Bondarchuk. What kind of eggs did your wife give Donello? Boiled eggs, stuttered Bondarchuk. The judge looked at the clerk, and then at Donello, and then at Bondarchuk, and he began to laugh. And then the clerk began to laugh, and Donello began to laugh, but Bondarchuk did not laugh. He stood there looking bewildered, tugging at his mustache, and then he grabbed his coat and hat, and he walked out of the court. And as his carriage clattered away, he could still hear them laughing. But that was the last time the rich man tried to take a peasant to court.
agricultural themes are quite common in Ukrainian folktales. Many of the Ukrainians who came to Canada in the early 1900s were farmers, and they came at the invitation of the then Minister of the Interior, Clifford Sifton, who praised these stalwart peasants in sheepskin coats. However, that reference to men in sheepskin coats soon became a derogatory term, as the newcomers were looked on with suspicion by the established population. And it didn't take long before the immigrants began to encounter men like the Bundachuk in the story of the stolen postale. My father came to Canada in 1930 and worked for farmers during the difficult years of drought and depression. One year, my father tried to earn a little bit of extra money by catching the gophers that would cause great devastation to the crops. He was disappointed, though, that the farmer he worked for wanted to deny him even that. It was a story he often told me, so one day I decided to write it down, and it came out in the form of a poem. Here it is. Sure can do a lot of damage to the crops, those gophers, said Mr. Nicholson, sipping tea. Farmer with a reputation had 20,000 in the bank. 1934 is going to be a bad year for them, they say. Municipalities paying one cent apiece. Mike nodded. Immigrant hired seven months for one hundred dollars. Up at five, Mike fed horses, milked cows, set out poison in the fields, plowed, planted, fed pigs. Sunset late on spring days gathered up dead gophers, cut tails and hind feet for proof, put them in a box. Up at five, Mike fed horses, milked cows, set out poison in the fields, plowed, planted, fed pigs, gathered up dead gophers, cut tails and hind feet, added them to the box. No chance to cash them in. Mr. Nicholson, you going to town? How about you take my gophers? Sure, Mike. Returning in his wagon, Mr. Nicholson holds out $2.37. Mike, you got those gophers from my farm. You work for me. My daughter wants a coat. How about I keep one dollar? Sure, Mr. Nicholson, sure. If he had a daughter, he'd rather she wear sheepskin than rodent. Що нам близьке до серця було, залишили ми тільки прямі живемо. Канадо, Канадо, ти країна казки прийняла до серця нас, як рідна мати. Все, що нам близьке до серця було, Shilly, me, Tilky, Priya, me, Jivamo. Shilly, me, Tilky, Priya, me, Jivamo. 
Beyond the Blue Mirror is a series of programs that celebrates the rich Ukrainian oral tradition. I would like to acknowledge the support of the Canada Council for the Arts. Je remercie de son soutien le Conseil des Arts du Canada. I would also like to thank Ethnic FM CKER Radio for the Roger Charest Senior Award for Broadcast and Media Arts, administered through the Ukrainian Resource and Development Center at Grant McEwen College in Edmonton. The folk tale in this program is based on the stolen postelet and the boiled eggs from the book The Magic Egg and Other Tales from Ukraine, retold by Barbara J. Suen and edited by Natalie O. Kononenko. Copyright 1997 by Libraries Unlimited Incorporated. Used with the permission of Greenwood Publishing Group, Westport, Connecticut. The poem, Spring Harvest, is based on the recollections of my father, Mike Mikolayanko. My gratitude to him for allowing me to share it with you. Introductory music for this series is taken from Dance 5, from the CD Prairie Nights and Peacock Feathers, performed by Paris Tukayu, distributed by Olesha Records. This program also features excerpts from Hutzel Fantasy from the CD Ablaze, performed by Vasil Popoduk, and the original composition Krajina Kazke from the CD Reflections of Our Pioneers, performed by Duet Marena. I'm Linda Mikolayenko. You may reach me through my website, lindathestoryteller.ca. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Nosh Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, our flagship show in Vancouver here on AM 1320 CHMB and in international syndication on PCJ Radio International. In between broadcasts, please visit us online at www.noshholos.com where you'll find transcripts and archived audio files, a link to the Nosh Holos podcast and information about the show. And if you enjoy Nash Holos and consider it worth supporting, there are a few options to choose from at the website, from buying me or yourself some coffee, to donating advertising on the show to your favorite Ukrainian cause. So do take a look, www.nashholos.com. Nu memajje zakinchale nashu programu, ale dokincia si slova mudrosti. Yazakom kupuyut i yazakom prodayut. And our proverb of the week translates as, What the tongue buys, the tongue can also sell. And with that, we've come to the end of our program. So to take us home, the Canadian Rhythm Masters and the Tag Polka. I'm Pavlina. On behalf of all of us here at Nash Holos and AM 1320, thanks for listening and Dobranich! <laughs>
If you enjoyed this edition of Nash Holas, please support the show. Buy us the digital equivalent of a cup of coffee through Patreon. There's a link at our website. Or what if I told you that you could support Nash Holas by buying yourself coffee? Sounds crazy, but yes, you can support the show just by drinking coffee. Six days worth for $20. Go to www.nashholos.com to get yours. Drink coffee, support Nashholos. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.